Good evening, Patriots. And it's Tuesday, July 19th. And of course, on the East Coast, you've now entered into Wednesday. Man, these weeks are going by fast. Incredibly fast. I look at my days and it's like I can't imagine how they could go much faster and yet they seem to. And I work through a day and I'm literally down to planning in minutes now because I have so much going on. I'm not exaggerating. So it's pretty crazy. But it does seem like the world has gone faster. Time is accelerating, which is kind of an interesting idea in itself especially as we kind of wind down in this crazy time to whatever we're heading towards. And we are heading towards something, a culmination of sorts. Patriots, before we begin, make sure you're checking out the products at MyPillow.com to ensure that you're getting a great night's sleep on some of the best products out there. And that's one of those things that's so critical are sheets and pillows, the staples of MyPillow. And they're there for they're staples for a reason, and it's my pillow's a big has been successful because of those two primary products. The quality of the sheets that they sell with the Giza cotton sheets, just amazing. And the classic my pillow is another amazing product. And as all these things, I use them regularly and I don't promote things I haven't tried and extensively tried. And I and I really I always kind of snicker at myself going, Oh, listen. You're a guy talking about sheets and pillows, and I am. And having traveled around the world as I have and lived out of a bag and oftentimes a sleeping bag and in way too many hotel rooms and too many times, way too many times sitting in a fire base and in the dirt of the sand, the, the fact is that when you, you really come to value your sleep when you get it, and trying to make a comfortable place to sleep definitely makes a difference in your performance. And right now with this war going on, you need to take that value. So head on over to MyPillow.com forward slash Bards. That's our Bards Nation's landing page. You're going to find all sorts of amazing deals. Use your promo code Bards, B-A-R-D-S. Tremendous savings you'll get there. And it's, it's worth every penny you spend. You will not be sorry. And it will definitely enhance and improve your sleep, which is so critical because I'll tell you going forward, we're just not going to have the luxuries of some of these things that we've had. And it's now time to set the patterns to prepare yourself. So again, mypillow.com forward slash Bards, promo code Bards. And then you can also talk to a real live person, which is 800-975-2939, 800-975-2939. And that's a Patriot Pillow Counselor that is on standby to assist you and bring your dreams to reality, so to speak. All right, Patriots. You know, we are heading towards some sort of big moment. And it is really that time. And I guess if I was a, if this was a fire and brimstone pulpit of the sorts, we'd be screaming at the top of our lungs, you must come to Jesus. And if you don't come to Jesus, you're going to go to hell. I think in a much more real sense, uh, we have to really, I think it start to, would probably be good to begin with Isaiah 32, 17. And the effect of the righteousness will be peace and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. To me, that's really more a reflection of God. There is a wrath part within God that's very real. I don't think we have, any of us would doubt that. But all of this is happening to try to bring his children home. 
And sadly, we do live in a world where so much has been objected and rejected. And we see that. And if you listen to the last half hour, or the last previous hour, excuse me, the show, Bards FM, we, we played the piece by Yuri, who is a KGB defector, and he says in there that the reason the communism was able to take such a strong hold and, and able to be so successful and unchallenged is because of a moral bankruptcy in this nation. And you've heard me say this. At the core of most of this fight is a moral bankruptcy. And that, sadly, is not something we can point a finger at. Meaning we can't point the finger at the government and point the finger at everybody else. We have to start taking responsibility for that in many ways. Because at one point or another, whether we like it or not, we've contributed to this moral bankruptcy in the nation. And this isn't one of these, like, let's lather on the guilt, because I hate that. But let's definitely own what we have, and let's change it. And I think that's kind of the core of this. This, is, this has to be a, a faith of action, not a faith of hope. When I say hope, meaning, like, I hope somebody will fix it for me. So it's probably better said, it's, it needs to be a faith of action, not a faith of apathy. And when we get into our heads more and more that we are literally behind enemy lines, that we've been given a mission to occupy the land, to expand the kingdom, that we are to be disciples in this world and we should follow the walk of Christ. And I'm telling you, that should energize anybody that has that alignment with Christ or has Christ in their heart, that should energize you. It's a profound place to be. And as we do that and embrace what that means, then we start to really embrace the true power of what we wield in this war. There's so many loose and empty narratives that are used, like Ephesians 6, 10, and 18, the armor of God and the helmet of salvation. It's all these things. It's like, okay, what does that tangibly translate to? And again, what we're getting into is the tangible aspects of faith. If we look at this from an active war that's going on, we are literally armoring up each day and going to battle. And if we don't, like any good soldier, it's not to say that you can't get in a firefight without body armor because it was done for years. But it's that one round that comes in and and hits where your body armor should have been. You're going to wish you'd had it. And without it, you're taking an inordinate risk. So we are really, and it's even more than that, because basically if you look at what happens in, in the military, you have a directive given. Like if you're going to into battle, you have a certain kit you're supposed to wear. And soldiers adapt to it. It's not always fun. But it's done to increase survivability on the battlefield. And right now we have a battlefield. It is active, it is hot, it is vicious, and it is deadly. And how it destroys is different than a bullet, but it's actually more lethal and more destructive than a bullet because it's destroying minds, it's destroying souls. You get shot with a bullet, you heal. And it's not to say that people can't heal, but that healing in a physical sense is a physical pain that you can work through. 
some of these things that people are left with are going to be permanent scars. And it's really only the blood of Jesus that's going to be able to heal that. So we have to really look at our world and where we are and look at and kind of revisit some of these topics that we've touched on so much over the last couple of years. One of those comments that I've made here on this channel to the frustration of many in the beginning, I'm not going to say now, was that people taking the injection were choosing salvation through a needle versus salvation through Christ. And I still hold to that. And I know that makes some people uncomfortable because they're like, well, once you choose salvation through Christ, it's, that's not true. I disagree with that point. Because we have an obligation that once we've accepted salvation through Christ, to continue in that path of what that means. That means we've been transformed. That means we have to continue to walk in that path. But if we turn our back on that and we take that choice, which so many did in taking the choice of the needle, you're turning your back on the very one of the most fundamental principles of faith. And what is that? Fear not. Over 350 times in some versions of the Bible, That level, of, that level of reminder says that it's pretty important, I would say. And the, the blatant disregard for that and the obsession with the fear to drive people to make the choice to take an injection to seek healing, not through the blood of Christ, not through the trust in God, but instead to take healing through a needle. That's blasphemy. And the way back, quite frankly, you're going to have to go through the whole process, in my opinion, repenting and and salvation in Christ once again. I don't think it's just a gimme. And I think there's a penalty for it. And I look at it like this. Let's say that I'm wrong. Let's say we find out that, ah, you did, that was not necessary to say because we all ended up in heaven. Okay, that's one avenue. But let's say I'm right. What are the consequences in your life if we don't find those people and get them to understand that they need to repent? They need to go through a process of repenting, not just once, but they have to go back to the drawing boards, back to zero, because they have literally walked away from God and they've done one of the most blasphemous things you can do. Defiled the temple which he has created for you to reside, your body. So if in that chance, it's like the argument with the atheist. The atheist says, I don't believe in God. And you're like, okay, God doesn't exist. Okay, maybe you're right. But what if you're wrong? And of course, the arrogance is, the arrogant answer, if you get one of an arrogant answer, is going to be, I'm not wrong. Okay. But what if you are? If you are wrong, then what you've said means that your soul is condemned to hell for eternity because you've rejected God. So what's the downside to accepting God in your life? It's a powerful statement. It's a powerful argument. And those 
it's one that's worth leaving sometimes because sometimes it's kind of like leaving the grenade on the table with the pin pulled and say, go ahead, play. Because it will cause people to reflect. And we have to do that sometimes. And so we really have this obligation to do as much as we can to awaken people to the criticality of these times. We're not necessarily going to awaken everybody. And many people don't want to be awakened. They're comfortable in the matrix. They like it. They're, they've achieved what they want. They, they're a little, maybe not liking everything right now. They may not like Biden. They may not like some of this CRT stuff. Ah, those groomers are not that bad. Those pedophiles, they're around, but they'll go away eventually. They'll go underground. We won't worry about them too much. Ah, this war with Ukraine, Russia, now that's a worry, but I know that we'll overcome that because we're mighty and our military is great. Okay. Sounds good. Not the world that I live in. The world I live in is looking much more at the accountability of people, the derailment of morality where the nation is going. It's not just a me thing. It's not just a temporary thing. It's not just I'm going to do the best I can and then while I'm here and take as much of it as I can out of it for me and then when I die, it doesn't matter anyway. So that's not really the way of living. Not for me and I don't think in a walk for most of us. I think what really drives a lot of what we are seeking is in Matthew seven twelve. So whatever you wish that others will do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the, and the prophets. That, that's a powerful phrase and a, and a framing of us living in this world. And I think the key word, word is whatever we wish others would do to you. It isn't saying the do, it isn't, it's saying that we wish it would. So that, that tells us that thoughts are important. That's back to that Ephesians thing again, 6, 10 to 18, the helmet of salvation. It's a very important principle because this war is being waged on our minds. And if our thoughts are corrupted and we're wishing harm to others, then is that not also what we do to them? Or And that is a, a real critical piece here of what we are visualizing and struggling with. Every one of us has has frustrations right now. And believe me, I, I have a pretty lethal warrior side of me that would be happy to see some of this evil leveled. But only, and I stress this, only if guided by God's direction. But imaginations have a great way of running ahead of us. And as they run ahead of us, they can take over our thoughts and consume us. And so we then are becoming the sin in a sense, we are perpetuating something that we don't are is against the law and the prophets because we're wishing harm on people. We have to be careful in those areas. They're traps. And this world we're in is set with traps all over the place, intended to, because ultimately everything is intended to turn us on each other. And if they achieve that, then quite frankly, they win. I want to read a piece here from Telegram. And it's it's a bit long. I just want you to bear with it. I'm not saying it's accurate. I mean, it's a projection of what someone in, 
sees as potentially happening. I think it has a pretty good laydown as a scenario. But I, I, I think it also portrays what I have, from my own research, this has pointed out for years of what the ultimate goal is for everything. They want us going after each other. So this is from White Rabbit Q. And White Rabbit Q is an interesting account if you want to follow it on Telegram. Lots of stuff that comes up. But there's the thing that catches me about White Rabbit Q is these posts have a lot of thought behind them. I'm not saying I agree with all of them. I'm going to be clear. But I do respect the thought. It's not just retweeting or reposting somebody else's stuff. These are long, well-considered posts. Another good account to follow, an exceptional account to follow on Telegram is BioClandestine. If you don't follow BioClandestine, you should definitely follow BioClandestine. And then the third account that I would highly suggest you follow on Telegram for daily news and great research is Plastic Girl Reporting. I've talked about that before. We're still trying to get Plastic Girl Reporting on the show. We're also trying to get BioClandestine on the show. I think these are just two exceptional researchers that really need to be heard. But let me go back to this post here of White Rabbit Q. It says, every time you see the MSN narrative that Russia is losing the battle or significant losses and the Russian forces are quitting or receding or being pushed back, the fake narration and propaganda is created and pushed so more innocent civilians join the military quickly and feel like it's a final moment to win. So I want to stop there. That is, that's part of the manipulation that we're talking about. And this is how the Nazis worked. And they're going to do it here. This is why I want you to hear this because there's a lot in this that we're going to see some of this here. I guarantee it. You're already seeing the laydown. And it's this deception of, of trying to get people panicked and in fear mode and not listening to God, not listening to that inner compass that God gives us. But instead, they're reacting because, oh, my goodness, this is almost time to beat the Russians. They're, they're running away. I need to jump in on this. And we're going to win. Well, that's not what's happening. What they're doing is they're using this as a, a manipulative way to get people to join in and fight the Russians, and the people are dying. They're sacrificing their own. Who's... Who is they? Always the same. The elites are using the people as sacrificial pawns to protect their wealth, meaning the elite's wealth, as people run in in this ridiculous idea of being heroes in war and to fight for the glory of the country and shed your blood on the land for the evil Russian empire. Look, I this is just such classic narrative manipulation. It's crazy. So let's continue. The fake narration and propaganda is created, as I said, and pushed so so more innocent civilians join the military quickly and feel like it's the final moment to win. But they are being played and tricked and used inside fourth generation warfare and old tactics to keep a war running. Get sympathy from the public who are also being played. Putin is a play, is playing very important chess moves that has kicked off the rise of deep state state war. It's surfacing. Remember last year when everyone was complaining about nothing is happening? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And I told of these events of war coming, and we are going to be and we are going to go into nuclear standoff. Nash equilibrium equals game theory equals near death civilization event. And I concur with all of that, by the way. 
And I told all of these events of war coming, and we are going to go. I just read that. Excuse me. These events happening must happen. It will connect everything in the world at the end, the justice. Unfortunately, many have died from the vaccines, bioweapon, virus release, and, and a century of deep state-controlled companies organizing organizations deliberately poisoning our foods, water, air, land, and killing hundreds of millions through cancer and other well-placed products and poisons that we consume daily. Even our children crawl on the floor where chemicals disinfectant and cleaners are used, but were deliberately contaminated with poisons to affect the children crawling. You, you have been in a state of war your entire life. That's an absolute true statement right there. But we were asleep. And by the way, that comment about children crawling on, on the floor with chemicals designed to give them cancer and other problems, that is a proven fact. Be strong, patriots, for the hardest part of the war is coming. And so with this is hope lost. Part of, the, of that, part of that's what has been warned many, many times. Full censorship. Now this is a big one, so take a listen. I just cannot believe I just bumped myself out. Hang on a minute. Here we go. Full censorship is is inserted quickly in many major countries. All major media, social networks, news stations will go down in succession, and those breaking the DS laws will be fined, imprisoned, and bank accounts blocked and seized. After the full censorship, the deep state will push their final agenda on their controlled, unchallenged mainstream news, outlet media, and world sources to heavily brainwash MKUltra, the last regiment of humans dedicated to the mainstream media mass mind control. DS, Deep State, will encourage civil revolt wars against those who do not comply with MS, MSM, and Deep State government laws and rules. Their plan was always to create civil war for many reasons, including bringing the UN into major countries to control and use left-wing military parties, generals, to help with the deep state UN ops. Next stage is full cyber attack, blackouts, chaos, mass protests, riots, panic, ATMs down, grids full off for days, panic. Military, deep state military martial law, this is what they planned. But in the end, end game. So, I'm not, that's where it ends for the most part. The point of all of this is all of that's consistent with the sort of relate the research that I'm doing, others are doing, and the picture is becoming fairly clear that they're pushing, they're running unabated right now in their agendas. And the reason some of this is happening is because still people feel like they can't fight back and they're being affected by the panic, the fear, and the disempowerment that that brings. I go back again to the importance of fear not in Scripture. And I don't think in any time in our life has it ever been so clear why that phrase is said so many times, fear not. Because fear is paralyzing. And with fear, what we do is we consume the moment on the rock of me, 
and we don't rest and lean into the rock of faith and that of God. So we try to take the world on ourselves, and I got news. It doesn't work well, and it doesn't end well. Isaiah 54, 16 to 17. Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravenger to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. That ties right in with, as you know, one of my most read phrases these days, which is Luke 10, 19, which is, Behold, I have given you authority to walk on snakes and scorpions and authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. So how is it that we embrace those phrases? Because we don't, in our churches, it's not looked at. We don't see that. What we see in our churches is peace at any cost. You know, we must be meek, which translates to weak rather than humble. We must be passive. You must never, you must always turn your other cheek. This great line, you will, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. All of those things are cherry-picked, and they forget the context of what truly the essence of our relationship with Father is about. If you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. An absolute statement of truth if you understand the context of what a great warrior is. Because a great warrior that seeks to do nothing more than kill will end up dying by his own means. But a great warrior that has purpose and cause, that walks with valor, that walks with the love of God in his heart, is not seeking the offensive attack, but rather is seeking the righteous protection of people and faith. It's part of occupying the land and expanding the kingdom because we're in enemy territory. So if we have been given in such a place as this right now where no weapon forged against us can succeed, we have the might and the power to overcome all that's before us. If we place our true trust in God, and this is a whole new level. When I say this, I, I, and I do mean what I'm going to say here. When we are talking about having the trust in God, it is like going into a race. I'm going to use this. I'm going to use a couple different examples here. These are not complete metaphors, but they're pieces to put an image onto what that is when we say trust in God. So one is you're going into a race. And if you're going into a race and you have doubts of whether you're going to win, you're going to lose. But if you have completely committed yourself to winning, you will succeed massively. Now, will you win the first place? I Probably. Depends on how much you're committed to it. Because everything is possible when we go to that place. When we step into that place, even when the whole world seems against you, you can overcome it. You, know, you hear these stories of war when people are underdogs and they have everything against them. 
and then they overcome it. What's the one thing that they never stop believing? It's that they can win. So as we're in this time right now, if we're not stepping into the arena and into the ring and saying we're going to win, not just saying it, but it has to be deep in your heart. And this is the hard part because it's easy to say it's hard to do. And part of that is you have to literally go back to that moment of being reborn because in that moment, your old self is destroyed and your new is reborn within you. That is the body of Christ. And then when you accept that walk, somewhere along the way, I don't know how it happens, but in those moments, most people have the profound understanding, that connection with Christ. But then as we continue the walk, suddenly it's it's like little pieces break off here and there and we get little chunks in our armor and pretty soon we're, we're back at the place of, I don't know, it's kind of tough. I don't know if Jesus is really listening. Where does that happen? We have to be walking in this absolute true and pure confidence that we are walking with God. It doesn't matter what happens because that's just the point. We do this too much. We tend to project out of what victory looks like. What does victory look like? I have no idea. That's my answer. Other than to know that in this time, in this place on earth, I have a mission. And what does victory look like here? I can tell you in a functional sense what it looks like, not a visual sense, but a functional sense is dutiful to everything that God puts on my heart, expanding the kingdom and occupying the land. That is true. And being true to Jesus in every bit of my walk. That's all I need to worry about. That's being a good soldier. But when we're going to start worrying about this or that and we're going to start getting into, well, does this first mean that thing and this first means that thing? Man, we're getting lost in the minutia and we're missing the purpose. We have to stay deeply embedded in the relationship with God in this moment in time. A In war, you're, if you're on a squad and the squad's doing an assault on a building, and somebody in the squad starts talking about what the generals are planning for the next phase, I can pretty much tell you how that conversation ends. And it's literally like, shut up, get your head in the game, and if you can't do that, the next thing that happens is usually somebody puts a fist in somebody's face and says, get in the game or die. This is the war we're in. The difference is you don't have around you that sort of intensity, but that's the intensity of the enemy we're fighting. So the Daily Beast today put out this stupid article about how Russians were losing and they're blaming it all on the super soldiers of, of Ukraine, and they were kind of mocking it. Well, that's not at all what Russia said, and, it's, and the Daily Beast is a bunch of, of loons over there anyway. They're leftist. And that's about all that needs to be said. And they're liars. Because in a godless society where they live, in an immoral society, they can say anything and feel okay with it. Because to them, it's just a game. They're constantly gaming to be better, to be more people, more views, to get more clicks. They have no moral basis for anything they do. Though they'll try to give you that sort of righteous talk, it's fake. All they are doing is justifying themselves and arguing so they can have this sense of being right. There's no righteousness in being right when you're a liar. But I digress. So the truth of the matter is, is what's happening in Ukraine is that 
Ukrainian soldiers are being given amphetamines and methamphetamines, high doses like crack and cocaine. And they're then being put into the fight. And a lot of these guys have been, are heavy on drugs, which is exactly what they did. If you didn't know this history, this is exactly what they did in the Blitzkrieg. The Nazis did. It was driven, the whole concept of high-speed attack in the Nazi period of Blitzkrieg was built around the idea of giving soldiers speed, a methamphetamine. So we are seeing it once again. And this perversion of the story, and there's so many people that are living still in this bubble that Ukraine is winning and that it's a noble fight, and they're not realizing that they're, they're supporting one of the most evil elements in the world ever to arise. And and it goes back to the simple principle. Where is their faith? Their faith is not in God. Their faith is in media. Their faith is in the government. Their faith is in the institutions of men. And our walk is going to continue to be under pressure to try to pull us that way, to attack us for not going that way. And this is where true soldiers will be forged. Warriors, great ones. To be able to hold that line in spite of the moral attacks and in spite of the pressure attacks and maybe, I don't know, more. You have to hold that line because it's going to take courageous people in the name of the Lord to know that in your heart you're never going to waver. And this is where we really dig into that deeper sense again of trusting in God. I mean, imagine Paul, who had been cutting heads off, beheading Christians, and then entrusted by God to go and be a disciple and then thrown in jail. He never, ever wavered. This has to be who we are. And this is, and you, I say that because of Paul, because it would be very easy for him to just say, oh, Lord, I'm in jail. I deserve this. This is your punishment upon me. Because I sinned, and I sinned so heavily. I, I can tell you what my feeling is about that. I think that conversation probably went something like this. Uh, Paul, this is God. Yes, God. Pull your head out of your butt. This is a war. We'll deal with that other shit later. Start acting like a disciple and get busy. We have work to do, and time is pressing. Quit being weak. See, because our God is mighty. And that mighty God seeks to have mighty people, not weaklings. I mean, I'm I'm truly so fed up with the pulpit's message of this kind of like, you know, well, I'm going to tell you, I have the greatest interview coming up tomorrow night. And you're going to love it. Uh, This is the candidate for the fourth Congressional District in Arizona. This is Jerome Davison. He's a former NFL player for the Oakland Raiders, a pastor, an author, a writer. And we talk about this, and, man, he just rips the pastors, like, better than me, and I do a pretty good job. But, boy, he gets gets into it. He gets into the limp limp, limp wrist stuff. It's pretty funny. You're going to enjoy it. My point is we need this sort of boldness. 
And it is that courage that leads people. People don't like to be led by meek. And when I say weak people, humble, yes. Weak, no. And and really, quite frankly, the arrogance of, of what many people claim to be leadership, you'll find that if you've been in those environments, it usually burns out pretty quick. But the strength through humility is what people really are drawn to. And those leaders don't have to say a lot. But when they speak, they speak in volumes. And it doesn't have to be many words. I had a coach like this in crew when I was in college. And I rode crew. We had a great team, great two and a half years of my life. And it really is two and a half years of your life because you don't do anything else for two and a half years, including you don't do much studying and boy, do your grades suffer. But anyway, that's another subject. And his name is Dave Bronco. And I've lost touch with him, but I, I, I have such respect for him to this day because of who he was. He was an, an incredible scholar. If you don't know the scholar is as a single row or two or sing, but a single person in a boat. National level. So he usually placed anywhere from he was always in the top three or top five nationally and technically just proficient and just a monster on the water. I mean, just the, because rowing, if, if you've never done it, it has got, it has got to be one of the most draining and painful experiences you've ever done when you're in a race. Because when you get down to the last 500 meters, your legs feel like somebody poured acid inside your legs and it's burning every bit of your muscle tissue. It's crazy, but it, it's a loving pain. I love it to this day. So we were, this was a type of coach that we had so much respect for him that if he literally walked into the training room one day and he just said, guys, we're going to go up on the bridge and you're just going to jump off into the river. We would have done it. Not because we're stupid, not because we're looking to be suicidal, but because we had such trust in him that we knew that when he spoke, he had a reason and purpose behind everything he did. Now, I've told this story a long time ago. I'll tell it again tonight just for sake of this. We were being dumb kids one day coming down to practice. That We were getting ready the next morning we were going to do. Actually, that night we were going to load the boats up on the trailer, and we were heading to Northern California, actually down near Stanford, Central California, for a race the next day. So usually the day before a race, you go pretty light. You just do a warm-up on the water, do a couple quick sprints, get off the water, load up the boat, go back, shower, get your stuff packed, and then you're in the, you're usually down at the docks pretty early, and you're on the road probably by 7 a.m. <clears throat> well, this day, we all had a hair up our backside, acting like crazy kids, and we were carrying the boat down to the water, and there's two steel posts where a gate was going to be built, down on the ramp to the lower boat. And as we're jacking around, we smacked the boat into one of the steel rails, the verticals. And these boats are very expensive and things like that can be very damaging. Fortunately, we didn't damage the boat. But when you're dealing with like a Vesper or an Empacher, these type of boats, you're talking fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 for a boat, okay? And we bashed it into the rail. And the minute we did, we knew we had done something wrong. And then when we got down to the water, we knew we were in big trouble because the coach didn't say a word. And again, like I said, we knew him. 
And all he did was he walked over and he picked up a folding chair and he folded it and he sat down on the edge of the dock and he put the bullhorn down and he didn't say a word. And man, we knew we were in trouble. So we jumped on the water and he just, he told our coxswain, Becky, he said, just go down to the thousand meter mark and do a thousand meter sprint. That's all it was said. And so we're like, boy, we got to make this up. So we got down to that thousand meter sprint and we put everything into it and we cranked out a winning time. And then we got this nice job. Now do five more faster. We did 10 at the end. And the only reason we got off the water is because we cheated, honestly. And he knew we cheated, but we learned our lesson. You see, we're in a pretty critical time. He understood race mentality. He understood race like a war. And there was a time to play, but there was a time that playing got out of control, and there was a time to get your head into the damn game to win. See, we're there. And if we want to win this, then we sort of have to start living into that win. God's already got this. The question is, how are we going to execute this for him? And I know this is always like this little, I I call it the Christian cop-out. God's already won this. Okay, then why are you here? That's my next question, always. Then why are you here? Because if you're just an air breather and you have no function and God's already won this, I have no idea why you're even walking the face of this earth. Because it isn't that simple. We're in a period of time right now, which in my opinion, it's the valley of decision. How things progress, of course God wins this in the end. That's always the case, but that's not the intent. God has to bring his children home. Our function is great. It's massive. We are his ground troops. We're his shock troops. We're the special forces of faith. And it's that sort of commitment to know that you have to get into the communities. We have to be disciples. We have to action these things to help waken the masses, to get them to turn to Christ, at least get their eyes in that direction. From there, I'm not worried about things. That's planting seeds. And I know that in that process, God does win. There's no question about it. But in the valley of decision and on the threshing floor, there is a separation And nations shall be judged, and we are being judged. The question is, how severely? And so it's there that our fight rages. And we're fighting, not for me, because God's already said, even in Ezekiel 14, if I have my righteousness and I'm standing, sure, I'll be spared, but my, my friends, my family, my nation, it will suffer. I don't seek that for anybody, especially those that have been deluded, misdirected, lied to, deceived. I don't know how to win every heart, but I know a couple of things. I know that truth is the banner under which which we fight. I know that Christ is the body in which I fight in. I know that Every breath that I take is connected through God so that the steps that I take are intentional as he needs. And as he is guiding my actions, whatever my actions are, are what he needs to win this fight because that is how this is won. It's not about me running out here with my sword going, I shall strike down all enemies. 
That is never how scripture reads. David did not strike Goliath because he had a vengeance towards Goliath. David stood up and said it was the Lord's fight and it would be the Lord that led him. And then when Goliath came at David, David picked up that five stones, picked up one from his pocket, and it was the Lord's hand that guided him and that stone to the center point of Goliath's head and Goliath fell. And the most incredible part about that story is that Goliath was dead. But David fulfilled his words that he spoke in the Lord's name. He withdrew Goliath's sword and he cut off his head after the beast was dead. Promises fulfilled. That's our intention. Everything we do is intention. Everything we do is committed. We have to live that way intentionally. That's what victory looks like. That's what accomplishment and conquering the enemy looks like. Because you were dealing with an enemy that is that way. They are committed. They are committed to their two-bit franchise God. And like it or not, they're very dedicated to the process and to the ritual. We need to be as committed in our actions, our intent, our words, our thoughts to our God, the one God, the only God. And in that unity with him, and that is what trust is. So if God sends us on a walk in the park and we're like, well, that's not very exciting. We have no idea what the battle plan looks like. That's where being a good soldier, you obey. And as you obey and as you do, we start to witness massive victories. And it's that every single piece on the board is critical. We all have a critical mission. Everything we speak, everything we think, everything that's in our heart is part of our intention. It's a big responsibility. But it's the intention and the unity that we have through the body of Christ, through to our Father, that makes the difference between massive, massive victory that we're part of or a judgment in which we have to witness the pain and endure the pain because we didn't do our part of the job. In the end, God wins. I'm just intending to be on that side where we're slinging it with him and slaying the enemy with him in the many ways that he needs us to slay them. That makes me excited. That's better than napalm in the morning. Patriots, let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight very humbled and blessed with all the responsibility and the trust which you've placed within us. This is a war, and it's hard, Father, to for many to comprehend this as a war. It doesn't look like one. It doesn't smell like one. And yet it's one of the most vicious wars we could ever be involved in. It's truly the war for our souls, for the heart of humanity, for everything. So, Father, we just pray tonight that if there's a gift that can be given, it's the appreciation for the seriousness of this time, not in terms of fear, but in terms of commitment and intention to what we do. That acceptance that everything that we are doing right now matters. Every thought, every action, every breath is, needs to be intentional. 
And not that we need to think through that every step, but rather we need to lean into you and let us let you guide us in each breath and step that we make. This is a time of building and raising the warrior class. An amazing warrior class, humbled, walking with Jesus under the banner of Christ with you, Father, wrapped around us. And it's hard for many in this time, Father, so please forgive us all for these trepidations that we make where we literally put ourselves too often first rather than put the intention and the trust which you put in us and our trust in you first. So we pray again for that awakening of the unity within the body of Christ. We pray again for the awakening of the importance of intention through you, Father. And with that, we shall rise and we shall lead. And with you, Father, the victory shall be yours, is yours, and we shall be your hands in this battle to slay this and raise up the love of you and once again place you on the throne of this nation. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So important that we keep the focus. So some final words tonight, and I've said this earlier, you'll hear me say this quite a bit. You're in the service of the Lord's army. If you've never served in war before, you are now. And you're doing so in the greatest army ever imagined because it's the Lord's army. If you identify as service as somebody who's put on a uniform, puts a flag on their arm and he has a bunch of ribbons on their chest, just get rid of that imagery. That's of old. That's not of now. We are in the Lord's army. And this is a fight which he's called us to be part of. So own it proudly. Walk with humility, but walk with strength. And walk fearlessly in this fight. This is how we win. Being the lamp and the lights that others seek and find as we walk with Christ and that light shines through us. It's undeniable, it's unescapable, and it draws people like moth to a flame. And that's the beginning of sowing seeds. Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. Keep your prayers up. Prayers for the rise of the warrior class. The new warrior class. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow afternoon for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. All this time we had to prove.
Something to find. 